Recording in progress, another episode of the Scoring Compass podcast. This time, we are in North Carolina. Uh, second time there, I interviewed... Uh, oh my gosh, and now I can't even remember the name of the brother. Do you remember uh, Brother Ben? Yeah, Pat? Worshipful Brother Ben Wallace. There we go, Worshipful Brother Ben Wallace. For a second, I was going to say uh, Cameron Bailey. That was in Washington, far, far away from... Uh, but yeah, Ben Wallace regarding... Um, uh, Esotericon, which both of us had the, the pleasure of attending. But back in North Carolina with Brother Matt Parker. Thank you so much for joining. Well, thank you for having me. So, you know, we met through, um, I suppose it would have been through Brother Randy Sanders and his Masonic Happy Hour, also online. Um, you know, you're very active in, in Refracted Light and, and the Masonic Legacy Society, a lot of presentations that you've done over the, over the years. Um, and as we can see from your shirt, you know, you are involved with the different Masonicons, Esotericons. Um, you know, let's start, start with that. Um, especially over the last year, well, I guess year and a half, um, with so much of the educational content moving to a virtual setting. Um, how did you find that, that affected you? Were you doing more stuff both as a guest and as a lecturer online? And what do you think as our vaccination rates go up, as um, restrictions are lifted, do you still see uh, a, a place for virtual education? Um, or do you think it's going to return back to primarily in lodge in-person events? I think I'll start with the virtual education. I think that's here to stay. Um, I I believe it will scale back a little bit because, of course, um, you know, us brothers that are providing virtual ed- education, like yourself with your podcasts uh, and, you know, the Masonic Roundtable guys and uh, the Unknown Philosophers, all the different variety of Masonic education that's available out there. Uh, at some point, we have to start returning to our lodges or Scottish Rite, York Rite, uh, Shriners, whatever whatever we are involved in. And most of us are very involved in uh, a multitude of, of Masonic bodies. So I do see that it may be scaled back a bit. <clears throat> but what we have found is that there's a, a tremendous need and thirst for this education. We have brothers who maybe cannot attend lodge on a regular basis. Uh, maybe they are deployed with the military. Maybe their job, their family doesn't allow for that time. And of course, you know, family and, and uh, career, things like that take priority over masonry. And so we get a lot of messages from, from brothers really all over the world thanking us for what we do because that's how they receive their Masonic experience. So I do think it, it filled a need that's actually been there for quite a long time, even prior to the pandemic. Just no one had addressed that need other than maybe Castle Island Virtual Lodge or Endeavor Virtual Lodge in uh, Victoria, Australia. But aside from that, there was not a lot going on. Um, of course, you had uh, Robert Johnson, who's just had his 500th, uh, 500th episode of the Wentz Came You podcast. So he's been going at that for a while and doing an outstanding job. Um, but the resources were not really numerous. It was the same guys 
uh, doing the work. And now it has just exploded. And I think it's going to stay. And like I said, I think it'll scale back a little bit because everyone's schedule is starting to open up. But I think it's here to stay. To what extent do you... Um, the, the, and I've talked about this a lot on my podcast, the, the challenge that, that I, I have with the idea of Masonic education um, is the, the esoteric, and I, I'm using the word esoteric in a very, um, like in, in a very specific sense of insular versus, um, uh, versus, you know, for the world answer thing is is how esoteric it can be be viewed as i mean the example of a podcast such as this one such as you know the excellent whence came you the excellent masonic round table but but we'll use this one specifically you know it, it certainly is my hope that masons wherever they are in their masonic journey you know, find this podcast and are able to learn something of value to their Masonic journey from yourself, as well as all the other guests I've had. But it is also, you know, my hope that non-Masons find this podcast and are able to learn something because I've likened it many times to mixed martial arts, music. Um, When Joe Rogan, for example, has... Dustin Poirier, Conor McGregor, whoever it is, he has a um, a mixed martial arts fighter on his podcast. He's not advertising that solely to other mixed martial artists, right? There is something of interest and value that you know a Dustin Poirier a, a fighter has learned from engaging in mixed martial arts, but that is applicable to almost anybody, and you see that based on just the audience it turns in. And I think with Freemasonry. So often there can be this tendency for people to hear, you know, oh, it's a Masonic podcast. It's a Masonic event. If I'm not a Mason, I won't get anything of value from it. Um, and I just think, you know, there are things that for, for you know, good reason uh, are secret and should be kept secret. But the overall philosophy and lessons from the craft, I think that the, that is something that many people can learn from and, you know, could, could benefit the, the world. So I think sometimes our, our Masonic education, it's important that we, it's Masonic themed, but it's applicable to a lot of people and a lot of struggles uh, in life. So I, I'll say this, you know, first, uh, we all tend to use the, the phrase Masonic education just for, I think, lack of a better term, um, I often refer to it as enlightenment rather than Masonic education because Masonic, Masonic education would be a very broad brush. Um, you know, if someone were to tell me that John Wayne was a Mason. Yeah, technically that, that counts as Masonic education, but have I gotten anything from that? Does that make me a better person for knowing that, Hey, this famous actor was a Mason it means nothing to me. Um, it, it's interesting but it's not really worth my time to discuss that. Um, when we talk about esoterics, that's a little bit of a taboo word in masonry. And so I tend to throw it out there quite a bit, just more or less for shock value more than anything else. But um, what is esoterics? 
It's just means that it's just what's hidden below the surface, what's just beneath. And I have a firm belief that all Masons on some level are esoteric. It just depends on how deep they're comfortable going with that. Um, you can have brothers who really take something away from the degrees just on a superficial level, but there's something there that resonates with them. There's something esoteric there that resonates with them. And so uh, I think, you know, the, the thing about esoterics and masonry, I really do think they go hand in hand, but it's, it's really how we define esoterics. Are we getting off on some tangent where we're talking about uh, astrology and, and numerology and uh, natal charts and, and all of this stuff? And that's fine. Some brothers are into that. I don't understand it. I've, I've tried to learn. I've tried to absorb that. It, it just doesn't register with me. But that doesn't mean that it's any less a part of masonry as uh, anything else we might be discussing, whether it be uh, the four cardinal virtues or uh, the symbolism of the uh, third degree, the building of the Temple of Solomon. All of these things are very esoteric. Where do you think the, and this is something I've, I've struggled with, um, I'm the first to admit, I have a... Um, I, I can have kind of a, a love-hate relationship with the, the esoteric side of, of things. Um, and, the, you know, the thing I, I struggle with is where, where do you think and how do you think a lodge and, and a mason can find a balance between, for lack of a better term, um, the, the pragmatic or the boring, if you want to, you know, uh, use a derisive term, uh, the, the boring side of it versus the the, the esoteric, you know, on one extreme, I'll just give the example. We, we have a, a brother who I've met and he's argued many times that um, the, the Masonic business meeting should be scrapped altogether. Um, that the, the administrative functions of a lodge can be done by, you know, the worshipful master, the treasurer, the secretary, and, you know, you can include maybe some wardens or assistant secretary in there, but that can all be done via Zoom or at the coffee shop. Um, said, you know, the administrative aspects is something that people deal with every day in their own life, balancing their checkbooks at work, whatever it is. Said, you know, it's the, the degrees and the esotericism side of it. That's what separates masonry and that's what our entire focus should be on. I personally do not agree with, with that sentiment. Um, I think there is a place for, to be bored in a lodge, for lack of a better term. I think that that stuff is relevant, but just finding the balance between the, the pragmatic and the esoteric and, and how do you make sure that you have a healthy balance of both in, in a lodge? Yeah, I, I'm not sure that you're ever going to have a perfect balance in any lodge. Um, you're going to have some brothers who are, in it for the fraternalization. They like to get together with brothers, meet for dinner. Uh, you have brothers that uh, are in it for maybe the charity that the lodges are doing. You have other brothers who are in it for the education, maybe the historical side of it, not necessarily the esoteric. You have the brothers that lean more towards the esoteric. You have brothers that are all over the place. They join masonry and stay with masonry for different reasons. So, you know, number one, we can't pigeonhole masonry as being one specific thing because it's it's many things to many brothers um my personal philosophy is that 
true masonry takes place outside of the lodge room. It takes place when brothers like you and I are, are conversing or with uh, Randy Sanders and the Masonic Happy Hour or uh, just discussing these, these principles and philosophies and subjects uh, in what I like to call the meeting after the meeting. So when the lodge closes, brothers just sit around and, and uh, you know, maybe smoke some cigars and, and chat about these things and share ideas. The lodge should be a place to reinforce those Masonic values, to reinforce what we're there for. The lodge is a sacred space. Um, is there a place for the boardroom style business meetings where we're discussing bills that need to be paid or uh, things of that nature? Absolutely. All day long. Yes, that belongs in the lodge. Uh, don't leave that up to a committee. Don't leave that up to uh, certain officers in the lodge to make all the decisions. In a lodge, we're all on the level. We are all equal. So every brother from the master to the brother sitting on the sidelines, each and every brother in that lodge has a right to know exactly what's going on and take part in the decision-making process. We don't leave it up to uh, a certain board or um, you know, committee to make all the decisions and run with it. Uh, it's okay to have a committee to do some planning and then report back to the lodge. Ultimately, the lodge needs to make the decision as a whole. So I don't know if that's uh, kind of where you were going with that or not. I, I just think that we put a lot of emphasis on education in Masonic Lodge meetings, which is great. I expect to see that in every meeting, uh, that enlightenment. Uh, but you run the risk of, if you lay it on too heavy, you run the risk of running some guys off. Uh, if you focus just on charity, then you're going to run the guys off that are there for the education or enlightenment. If you just focus on reading the, the minutes of the lodge uh, and discussing business, then you're going to run off other another set of guys. So I, I think there is a way to find a balance, but that balance is not giving everything to everyone. It's just giving enough to keep everyone satisfied. And that's going to change from lodge to lodge because each lodge has their own flavor, their own character. You know, that's an interesting uh, a point, I think, worth, worth examining is the, 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 the reasons for either, either approaching a lodge, because not everybody who approaches a lodge ends up joining for any number of reasons, but the, the reasons behind somebody both approaching a lodge and then, um, you know, becoming a, a member. And on the other side, the reasons that a lodge has for accepting an application, right? Um, it's not always a matter of, of the person putting in the application, right? You can have lodges accepting members for, uh, you know, it's funny. Um, I, I've, seen, I've seen the same admonition in the States as in my own lodge. I don't know if it's that the same in North Carolina, but you know, the 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 premise that you're not supposed to wish to join Freemasonry for mercenary reasons, for financial gain. But a lodge will oftentimes I've found unfortunately accept an application for mercenary means for the, the money as opposed to whether or not the candidate would be a good fit or or is actually joining for necessarily good reasons um you know how do you 
that, that initial sussing out period from the initial approach of the applicant to the degree, I guess, what would you say as, you know, somebody who's very active in the craft, who does a lot of work on the education side and the virtual side and in person, um, just, just what are some pitfalls you see at that initial approach? Um, do you think that there are reasons for, you know, to disqualify an applicant? I've, I've heard some, some people say, you know, don't disqualify anybody I, I, with obvious exceptions, you know, but as a general rule, don't disqualify anybody because they may be joining for not the right reasons, but you never know, you know, after their first degree, they could fall in love with it and become the best mason ever. Uh, somebody told me, you know, you need 15 new masons to get one good one basically saying you can never know. And the other app, the other side of it is no, we need to guard the West Gate. If a lodge has any ill feelings about an applicant or just they're not quite in it for the right reasons not to accept the application. Just what are your thoughts on that, that side of things? So masonry is not here to convert men or to uh, sway them over to one way of thinking. Uh, we're not here to admit just any man that petitions joined the lodge in hopes that maybe he will one day see the light and uh, want to take part in it. That, that's foolish. Uh, we have a past grandmaster in North Carolina who said something to me a few years ago that um, has always stuck with me. He said, more damage has been done by white balls than black cubes. And he's absolutely right. We have let in so many men who, they may have been good men, but they were not meant to be masons. Uh, they didn't have the hearts of Masons. Uh, they can be fine, upstanding citizens, pillars of their community, but maybe Masonry is not right for them. If they're looking for a charitable organization, there are thousands and thousands of charities out there that do wonderful work that they may be better suited towards. Um, and unfortunately, that's the reason why we lose so many members is we're admitting these men, they go through degrees, and then they discovered masonry is not what they thought it was, and they're gone. They disappear. Lodges, due to shrinking numbers, have, have become desperate for money, and even grand lodges, some grand lodge jurisdictions. And so they're almost marketing masonry as if it's a product. They're uh, you know, almost pandering to men to, to get them to join the lodge just so they have dues-paying members. They have no interest in that man or where he comes from or, or what his goals are. They have no interest in what he expects out of masonry. They just want that dues check coming in so they can keep the lights on. And if that's how a lodge is, uh, is uh, surviving, then that lodge just needs to close its doors because that is not masonry. Uh, I have very, very strong feelings about that. Uh, we had a, in, in masonry in, in the U.S. and Canada, uh, after World War I, we had a, a big bubble of uh, uh, servicemen returning from war, and they were looking for that fraternal experience that they had in the military. And so they flooded into fraternal organizations such as masonry or the Moose or Elks Lodge and uh, even formed new fraternal orders. And the same thing happened just 20 years later after the end of World War II. 
you had the same bubble happen. So now you've got you've got servicemen from World War One and World War Two in our lodges. They're there for their fraternal experience. And uh, some of them were there for the esoteric or to study the symbolism, really dig into the degrees. But there were too many of them that were there for other reasons. And the so we call it Masonic education, enlightenment. Uh, these things were put on the back burner or sometimes forgotten altogether in lodges, which is really sad. We're seeing a renaissance in masonry right now. We're seeing a return to that education, that enlightenment, the study. Um, are our numbers going to continue to shrink? Yes. Are our lodges going to continue to uh, close or merge? Yes, that's going to continue to happen. And it needs to happen. It's healthy. Um, I think the the reduction in membership is a is a healthy sign uh, of our fraternity. We are returning to a normal status. What's normal for us? We were never meant to be this huge fraternity. There was a time in most Masonic jurisdictions where uh, you couldn't put a Masonic bumper sticker on the back of your car. You couldn't really advertise that outside of maybe a lapel pin or a ring, and and that was it because it wasn't meant to be advertised. It wasn't meant to be marketed. Now we have clever little uh, phrases like to be one, ask one, and uh, making good men better. And all of these are marketing phrases that someone has come up with, but they're very hollow, really. Um, that's not what masonry is, in, in my opinion. And of course, that's just my opinion. So, um, you know, feel free to send hate mail my way. But I just well, I think we, we have lost sight over a period of time of what our actual purpose was in masonry. And I'm, I'm just thrilled to death that we're having this renaissance in masonry. I know you've spoken with uh, worshipful brother Ben Wallace and, and some others that uh, I've had the same conversation with them. And we're all pretty much on the same page with that, that we just need to get leaner and more fit as a fraternity. I, uh, yeah, I've talked with them and, and, I do have to admit, though, and, and this might get some hate mail sent sent my way. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I if I agree with those sentiments fully. I understand where they they come from, but and it could just be my connection to the craft. Um, is like I have a slightly different history with with Freemasonry, or at least the way I, I always viewed it. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm torn. I understand the, the 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 basic idea, and I certainly agree with you. You know, one of the major problems we've had is is you know a a rush to get and collect dues at the expense of of properly betting. And you know, I'm not going to say. So the brother told me, you know, you need fifteen. You need to bring in fifteen applicants to get one good mason. Uh, I'm not going to necessarily put negative um intentions of what he said um you know i think he might have meant it in the same way i i used to deal a lot and, and work a lot with people who had addictions um and in in aa uh, there was like a seven to one or something like they always said you know you you just keep trying and you're not gonna if you just keep working on it eventually you'll get that one but you need to bring in a bunch of people and i, I think when he said he didn't mean it in a negative sense he just meant you know he maybe he's an eternal optimist and thought 
you know, the more you bring in, the more good ones will kind of go through the sieve. But I agree. I just don't think that's the right approach to take um, because if you're not taking it, you know, it's not fair to anybody. It's not fair to the degree team who puts on the degree for an applicant who ends up not liking the experience. And it's not fair to the applicant himself. Um, and I, I do agree with you. It's not, the focus shouldn't be on, on the money either in, in terms of the candidate wanting to join or the lodge accepting the candidate. So let me throw this out there to you. Um, just what you said and the brother that said that it takes uh, 15 candidates to get one good Mason uh, he's basically referring to what's commonly referred to as the law of large numbers. The more numbers you throw out there, the more results you're going to get. Um, there's a there's a law of averages out there, but that doesn't apply to masonry. And, and why not? Because we take certain obligations to keep our secrets to ourselves. We take obligations to keep masonry to ourselves. There are certain things we just don't discuss with everyone. And we're very hypocritical because the first guy that shows up at the door with a with money in his hand and, and wants to join, we welcome him in, we run him through the degrees, we teach him the grips, the signs, the words, all of this stuff that we have taken an obligation not to disclose. And then he's dissatisfied and he leaves and we've just sent him out into the world with all of this information. Have we learned nothing from the Morgan affair? Have we learned nothing from... Uh, you know, uh, Leo uh, uh, Trexel, uh, the Trexel host uh, hoax. There's just been a number of instances throughout Masonic history that show that there's a fallacy in doing just that, yet we continue to do it. And it's, it's horrible. And I can actually speak from experience. There was a, a gentleman and his son that we initiated into our craft. And they seem like really great, upstanding guys but they did not get it. They tried to turn masonry into what they thought it should be. Um, they were very deceitful, uh, did a lot of things that I'm not going to get into details, but ended up being expelled from the craft. They should have never been invited in or admitted in. Um, they were not invited. They just, you know, the petition joined the lodge and it really was for no other reason than they had the money to pay the dues and the initiation fee so the lodge was happy to welcome them in. In North Carolina, we do background checks on everyone. Uh, I know not every jurisdiction does that, but we do background checks. And the standard for way too many lodges is that if a man can pass a background check and he can pay his dues, then he's in. There's no reason to, to blackball him at that point. No, that's and that is, that's dangerous. That's an interesting Side note, I've not really gone into this much. Um, the, so we don't do background checks in Ontario. Um, I have, you know, uh, heard of um, applicants who apply and then because a, a brother knows of something they did, uh, they get blackballed. We don't, we don't use a, a cubes here. We have, we have black and white balls. Um, but I've, I've seen the cube before. I got a little laugh when I heard that. It's funny how some jurisdictions have, it makes more sense, the cubes, you know, because we're blind brethren, but that's a whole other kind of, you know. Um, you know, I, I struggle though with the idea of background checks in the sense that 
know, I, I was a, a probation and parole officer for uh, two years. And then I worked in a jail as a rehab officer for, for about five years. Actually, so I was basically, I was in the criminal justice system for 10 years. And I was on the, the, the rehab community reintegration side of things. Um, and, you know, and this is, I'm not speaking for any, before anybody yells at me, I speak for me, not for any Grand Lodges. This is all my opinions. You know, one thing that always bothered me is um, even if somebody has done insert most heinous offense here, um, unless the plan is to keep them incarcerated forever, or, you know, if you have the death penalty, sooner or later, they're going to be in the community. And all the evidence, and just as I would, I would back this up based on my experiences, you know, demonstrates that if you don't want somebody to reoffend, um, protective factors include things like stable employment, which I think is the highest, mm-hmm. being employed, uh, very likely to stop somebody from reoffending behavior, um, but also community engagements and community interactions. Um, and so, you know, I understand why, for example, say a place of employment wouldn't want to hire somebody with a certain, uh, with, with a criminal record, certainly depending on the, the people that group is working with or whatever it is, like there might be very good reasons to not do so. But, you know, if, if having a criminal record is a disqualification from being part of a community, whether it be being part of a Masonic Lodge or having a job or whatever it is, you know, I worry that all you're doing is increasing the likelihood of, of reoffending behavior. Um, and, you know, as somebody who, more than one occasion was on the phone to an employer on the phone to this or that saying like, you know, this guy's taking courses, he's doing this, he's doing that, he's trying to turn his life around. Um, I don't know how I feel about a background check as a, as, as disqualifying somebody from the craft, even in the case of Harry Hayden's defense. Let, let me throw this out there to you though. And this is, I'm just speaking for North Carolina. Uh, we have not been doing background checks that long, maybe a decade now. Uh, where it just became readily available just to you know contact the court, get a background check. And even then, the background check doesn't disqualify a man from masonry. Uh, the Grand Lodge reviews the background check just to see if there's any red flags. Uh, and if there are red flags, they'll, they'll notify the lodge. But ultimately, it's up to the lodge to still investigate the gentleman, to vote on him. Uh, and if they see, hey, you've had this conviction for this, ask them about it. What was this about? You know, how long has it been? What was the nature of the crime? Uh, it doesn't necessarily uh, preclude a man from being a Mason. But if you have someone who is, let's say, uh, a repeat offender, and they are maybe crimes like, let's say, embezzlement or white collar crime, something like that. But they've done that repeatedly or had several convictions, or maybe it's very recently. Maybe that's not a man you want to admit into your lodge, because what if one day he's elected treasurer of your lodge? You've got a problem. Um, you know, a man who is, uh, we had a situation in a lodge uh, not too long ago where uh, there was a man who had repeated offenses for uh, domestic assault. and 
they thought, oh, he's a nice guy. Let's him, let him in. You know, and unfortunately, he was very detrimental to that lodge because that same attitude, that same demeanor, he brought into the lodge room. And it, it really caused some stress in that lodge until, fortunately, he was arrested again and uh, ended up being brought up on Masonic charges and uh, expelled from the fraternity but probably should have never been admitted in. And that's not to say that he wouldn't make a great Mason at some point in the future. I don't ever want to disqualify anybody permanently from ever being a Mason. It wasn't the right time for him. He was still trying to work through his own demons. And Masonry is not a... I'll say Masonry doesn't really offer a path to salvation. If, if, I, if I'm putting that... I may be wording that the wrong way. I don't want anyone to take offense to that, but we are not here to be a rescue organization. We are not here to take stray men and, and try to make them better. Those men have to be able to come into masonry with the heart of a mason. They have to have some moral compass when they come to us. Um, and too often, I, I see it happening in lodges repeatedly. We just treat uh masonry as if it's a it's, as if it's a rescue group we're here to to save wayward men and and turn their lives around and that's not what we we do there are other organizations that are far better equipped to do that not us yeah and the timing is, is a good point that you brought up right like there's there's somebody Somebody may may at one point in future be be a good mason, but yeah, if he is, because using the domestic violence example, it's oftentimes about power and control, and usually men who are engaged in those things feel powerless. And then, you know, if so, there's a there would be a, a danger that if he's not attended counseling and if he's not worked through those issues, he's going to try to exert undue power and influence in a, in a lodge. Um, um, as well so yeah sometimes it is a matter of just the, the timing right and how do they talk about their offenses do they do they you know admit to them and admit it was a mistake and I'm trying to make amends to it versus is it just you know the world is against me type of thing like what is actually um what is actually the 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 way and, and that goes more to you know I like I like the way you described that right it's it's not it's a process. It's not just you get the background check and then disqualified or not disqualified. It's you get the background check. And then if there's something on there, you talk to the brother, you ask him about it. You know, that's why there's no reason why, uh, you know, a, a, a application needs to be accepted within an hour of meeting the candidate. You can have multiple meetings and multiple events and bring them out to different things and get to know them before you um, actually accept an application. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I really like what the Grand Lodge of California does as far as investigating uh, candidates. The master of the lodge will appoint an investigation committee of three men. But the master appoints them all individually. So no one on that committee knows who the other two men on the committee are. And each one of them interviews the candidate independently and comes up with their own conclusion. Is this man a right, a good fit for the lodge? Is he right for masonry? Um, and so you don't have 
uh, undue influence from from other members of that committee or trying to sway the committee one way or the other, because I've, I've seen it happen where uh, one person on the committee who had a very dominant personality swayed the decision for the entire committee. And unfortunately, good men who probably had a place in masonry were not admitted in because of, of one man. And that, that can be dangerous. That's interesting. Uh, the the committee and we have we have a committee in Ontario, but it's it's all three go and meet at the same time. I've never heard of a committee where it's individually done. Um, yeah, I, like there's def there's definitely a, a very strong argument in favor of that um, of that approach, or even like a, a fourth separate one. Because sometimes being on a committee, it's a, it's an interesting way to build camaraderie with a fellow Mason. You know, you may as a worshipful master. Um, you know, you'll put a older, you know, you'll create a, a committee of investigation and you'll use an older Mason and a younger Mason. And, you know, you'll, you'll try to create a committee in such a way that you're not only creating a relationship between the committee and the applicant, but you're creating a relationship between the committee members themselves. But as you said, the danger of that is if you have, uh, you, you know, is the newer Mason going to feel that he has to defer to the older Mason's uh, council? Like it's, it's an interesting idea. It's worth it's worth examining for sure. Is splitting up the committee somehow so that you don't have that danger. Do you know of any other jurisdictions that do that, or, or is California only you've heard of? California is the only one I've heard of, and I just learned that recently. I was up at the uh, Masonicon in Massachusetts and uh, speaking with a California brother who explained that to me, and I thought that was fascinating because that thought had never occurred to me. Uh, in North Carolina, where like you are in Ontario, where Usually all three men on the committee go out and meet together. Um, and what's funny is our code requires that there be three, uh, three Masons appointed to the committee, but it only takes two committee members to sign off on the petition. So uh, really, I have seen it happen over and over. We've appointed three men to the committee. One person couldn't make it to the investigation. So it was just left up to the other two guys. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not so sure there's really anything wrong with that um, because it is, it is hard to get everyone scheduled to align uh, at all times. It, it just doesn't happen. That's fine. Um, but my main concern is I want to make sure that a man is getting a fair investigation. Um if the committee meets with him and says, okay, do you believe in God? Yes. Okay. Can you pay the dues? Yes. Okay. You're in. That's it. That's it. And I, I've seen that happen over and over and over. And I have a different approach when I'm on an investigation committee, which is probably the reason why my lodge does not like to put me on investigation committees. I try to dissuade the man from joining masonry. I try to talk him out of it because I want to see how serious he is about masonry. Uh, I got into a little hot water several years ago because we were investigating a gentleman who was the son of a member of the lodge. And uh, the other gentleman on the, on the committee asked their questions. Do you believe in God? Yada, yada, yada. And I stayed quiet. I listened to their answers. And then I said, why do you want to be a mason? 
He said, well, my dad's a Mason. I said, okay, but why do you want to be Mason? He said, well, my grandfather's Mason. I said, okay, but why do you want to be Mason? He absolutely could not answer the question other than he knew his grandfather was a Mason and his dad was a Mason. So his family heritage, he should be a Mason. And I could not recommend him. I could not give him a favorable report. I just couldn't because he had no clue why he wanted to join Masonry. He had no clue what Masonry was about. He looked at it as a family legacy. And I'm, I'm sorry. And, and I don't mean to offend brothers who are, uh, you know, sons and grandsons of, of Masons and that, you know, senior family. I know, I know brothers, they're five and six generation Masons. Uh, and that's fine. That's great. But that can't be the reason why we admit someone into the, into the craft. That just can't be the sole reason. There has to be more there. Uh, I want to go back to, um, I think it would be, you know, the area of, of probably the, the, the main area of, of disagreement I have with, with a lot of Masons um, kind of now in, in 2021, um, you know, going back to, you know, the discussion around 1920s Freemasonry and 1950s, right? The, the bubble. Um, I don't know if you, if you ever read the book, uh, Bowling Alone by Putman. In France. I've got right. it here somewhere, yeah. Right here. I want to have Putman uh, on my podcast very, very much. I think I sent him a message a while ago. If you're listening, because um, uh, I'm very fond of that, that book. Um, and so, and I, I don't mean this in a, in a derisive way, uh, uh, so I think people tend to take it in that, in that way, is, is in the 1920s and the 50s, and this is based primarily on, you know, my own research in terms of looking at newspapers from that time and reports on Freemasonry from the media, as well as I never talked about it, you know, with my grandfather or, or my father directly, but I certainly could suss out their views on the craft that they were all Freemasons. Um, you know, people joined Freemasonry. Men joined Freemasonry in the way a housewife joined, like, the PTA. It was a, a community institution, and if you were a member of especially in smaller towns, if you were a member of that community, that town, um, there was just this expectation that you would be a Mason. Um, but it wasn't, like, I'm not, I think in, that's a good thing. I'm, I'm a big believer in this idea of, of the craft as being a community institution and something that, you know, if you believe in, is something that contributes to the, the peace and good order in a community. In the same way that the PTA, you know, it supports the school, you know, a Masonic temple supports City Hall in a lot of different ways. If you look back at, at the newspapers and, and the reports, I mean, you know, everybody's talking about vaccinations right now, you know, where did, especially in Canada, uh, but I'm sure in the States too, you know, where did the local government and health unit go when they had to have a vaccination clinic? They went to the Masonic temple. Uh, 
in World War II, the Windsor Masonic Temple and, and I believe many others uh, were depots used to gather salvage or scrap metal to help supply fighters overseas. Um, it was, you know, a place of homecomings and dances and, and being a member of the Masonic Temple meant, or being a member of the Masonic Lodge meant that you were a member of the community and were supportive therein. And some guys took it, you know, in, in the Bowling Alone book, there's the talk about, um, I think that it was, was Barry the joiner? I don't know if you recall that section. I think it was Barry. I don't recall. It's been a while since I've read it. Some, some named the joiner. It was like a derisive um, description in the 1920s of like a man who was, you know, Barry, who's like a mason and an elk and a moose and a Rotary Club member. And he's like all these different things. And he just joins because he wants to be the big shot walking downtown and has part of all these groups. Um, but, you know, so for me, like when I was joining Freemasonry, uh, I always viewed it first and foremost as a community organization. It was a place where I went because my dad was a Mason, my grandfather, right? It was a place where I, um, where I went to Christmas parties and not just me, but everybody else. You know, we had Christmas parties there and they had ladies nights there and they would do dinners there for, for veterans and this and that. Like it was primarily a place that made the community a better place in which to live. And it does seem, you know, my concern with the idea of the, the Masonic Renaissance is it seems that that's more insular in nature. Again, it's more that esoteric idea of Freemasons are, are joining and they're getting a Masonic education, but the extent to which we as lodges are engaged in community support. Like for example, I, I don't know any Masonic temples and I'm sure there are some, and if there are good on you temples, uh, but I don't know any Masonic temples that are involved in vaccine distribution. Whereas in the 1950s, I don't know many that weren't, that had a ballroom, um, that had the space. And this will get me some hate mail. It's already got me some hate mail on social media. So Matt, feel free to turn up if you want to. Uh, uh, but I've said before, you know, getting a vaccine is the Masonic thing to do. Um, I'm sure there were some anti-vax Masons in the 1950s or, you know, whatever the, the equivalent was at the time, but you wouldn't know it looking at any, you know, now though, I know a lot of Masons who are trying to think of how to put this. I guess my point is, it seems like in the 1920s and 1950s, men joined Freemasonry because they wanted to support their community institutions. Mm -hmm. And right now there's a dangerous amount of people who are joining Freemasonry because they don't trust community institutions. And they view Freemasonry as separate from the community. That makes any sense. It, it does. And, um, you know, for the listeners, the uh, thoughts and opinions of Worshipful Brother Cameron are his own and do not represent his guest or any Grand Lodge jurisdiction. <laughs> but but in that being said, <laughs> um, you hit the nail on the head. There was a beautiful time in Masonry where we were the center of communities uh, for gentlemen. Um, it was always the Masonic Lodge. I mean, uh, even today, many Masonic temples are still used for uh, voting center, uh, centers or um, you know, community or other community organizations will use Masonic Lodges or Masonic temples for their functions. Um, 
the Red Cross blood drives, whatever the case may be, that still occurs in masonry, but not to the extent that it used to. I mean, um, even, sorry to interrupt, just one, one quick great example of that, the, the blood drive, absolutely. And even that, you know, it, it breaks my heart a little bit, how that's gone away in, in this district. You know, there was a time when um, Freemasons were the leading blood donors based on, you know, you, you go and when you donate a blood, you give your affiliation, you say I'm with the Masons. You know, we were donating more blood than any other group. And, and mm-hmm. we know we're not anymore. And it's, it's unfortunate, but even, uh, I can't think, Copperhead Road, right? The song by, uh, yeah, uh, where took my Dodge to the Masons Lodge. Like it was just a place yeah. you went. It was the center of the community. Now we seem more insular. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think that's really a sign of our culture now. Uh, if you want to get in front of people, you have to do it through their, they've got to scream in front of them at all times. So you've got to get in front of them that way. Uh, people are just not as involved in the community as they used to be. There's, I guess, more of the global community. Uh, they're interacting through social media across the world. Um, and they've lost sight of their hometown, their community around their lodges. I think that has that has been a big part of the decline in uh, masonry. Um, I think there's a balance there, I, and I'm I'm an optimist. I, I just really think there's a balance there between what we refer to as the Renaissance and masonry, the esoteric, the Enlightenment. Uh, and also the community service. And it all goes back to, not to get too esoteric here, but uh, are you familiar with the word caritas? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So the, the Latin word for love, and that's ultimately where we derive the word charity from. Uh, and Greek, it would be agape. And it's a, it's a divine love. It's a superior love, superior above anything else. And we have... We should be practicing that love in our lodge, that brotherly love we have for each other and our love for humanity. And what we do in our communities should be a side effect of that love. In other words, it spills out of us. It's in us. We're contributing to the community, not because we feel like we have to, not because of some kind of obligation, but because of the love we have for our community. It's the love we have for our neighbors. And, uh, We've lost that. I mean, just culturally, I don't mean masonry, just culturally, we have lost that. You see some cultures where that is still a very uh, thriving part of their community. Uh, But yeah, I'll just say in the Western world, we have just uh, completely dropped the ball on that. We've gotten so involved with social media and uh, everything else that we've lost sight of what's going on right outside our front doors. And we, we need to change that. We really do need to change that. And I think masonry can be a catalyst to change that, but uh, it's going to take, it's going to take work. Does that, and I guess this is, this is my, my, um, uh, my question. This is the thing I've, I've been struggling with, with, with a lot is, you know, I agree with you completely. It's not a Masonic problem per se. It's a societal problem. We have lost the sense of community and connections, and, and we see these fractures happening. Um, 
in how many riots, how many, you know, how many things have we seen over the last two years um, throughout society. And, you know, I guess what I struggle with is, and maybe it's not, it does, it's not an, an either or, it's just a, a balance. You know, my, my emphasis is I feel that Freemasonry needs to be primarily uh, outward looking foremost. Like we should be, um, I, I don't like the idea of advertising per se. I, I think it's kind of garish, I don't know what the right word is. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not a dignified thing to be doing, but um, outward looking in the sense of like, um, going back to the vaccines, every Masonic temple that had a, and I'm sure some did, and if you did get in touch with me, please, because I'd love to hear your story. You know, every Masonic temple with a ballroom should have been contacting health units about being a vaccine clinic. And every, um, you know, there's so many charitable things and, and works and programs that, that Masons, Masonic temples and lodges should be at the forefront of that and blood donor clinics. And every Mason should be unless for medical reasons, you can't be a blood donor. And, and these things like this, um, as opposed to the insular, I don't mean insular in, in a negative way, the esoteric side of it, the Masonic education, especially when it's education that's only in a lodge. But I think, you know, where, where you're coming from and where Brother Randy comes from and where you're probably correct is that, you know, we can only look outwards so much if our, if, the lodge experience inside of lodges and enjoyable and fun and doesn't get people out. So that Masonic education, teaching people more about the symbolism, the, the mythology, the building of the temples, that's the first step to bring the Masons back in. And then we can worry about the other stuff later. Because you can only do so much in the community if your membership isn't engaged. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think we need to tie those, just what you were saying, we need to tie that that education, when we talk about the symbolism, we talk about building the temple, tie that to the community, tie that to our purpose. Um, in a lot of ways, uh, Masons uh, or Masonry as a whole, we seem to have forgotten our purpose. And our purpose is really to make, a, make the world a better place. We really want to influence the world, not to take over the world by any means. I mean, hell, we can't even organize a pancake breakfast, but to influence our communities, influence our neighbors to be that example, to be a beacon, something that they aspire to be as well. Uh, we need to uphold those morals and those values and, and, and take an active role in our communities. Um, I think that's a big part of what our degrees and our obligations are telling us, but we don't really do that, do we? And we need to get back to that because I think that's a huge part of masonry. I think that's part of our obligation to each other and to our fellow man. Now, uh, going to your, your part of the world in particular, um, I have seen on your Facebook, uh, you know, that you, you are meeting uh, in person. In Ontario, we are still not meeting in person. Uh, right now, in-person meetings are suspended till September 1st. So knock on wood uh, that at that point. But um, I guess in, in North Carolina, just what's it been like? Um, was there ever a time where in-person meetings were completely suspended? Have you always been meeting through the pandemic? Or, and I guess just um, what have you seen? Have you seen anything change due to the pandemic? 
just in your lodges themselves. Uh, I know one big concern amongst Freemasons in Ontario is just the rust that we're all worried about feeling. Um, you know, we you could practice on your own all you want, but as you would know, you know, ritual practice by yourself and ritual done with other people is very different and you do need to get into that rhythm with your officers. So just on your end of the world, what has it been like um, as we, again, knock on wood, come to the end of uh, the pandemic? Yeah, so we did shut down like most of the rest of the Masonic world uh, in March of uh, 2020. In fact, I attended a, um, a meeting of uh, Sophia Lodge 767, actually Worship Brother Ben Wallace's lodge. Um, uh, one of his lodges. Uh, on that Saturday afternoon, we had guest speaker come in. We all went to a festive board that evening, and it was the very next week where the orders came down from our governor about everything being locked down and closed down. And uh, so we did deal with that. The um, I don't think any of us saw it coming that fast. We knew that you know, this pandemic, the virus was serious, but I don't think any of us imagined as we were sitting around the festive board uh, table, I don't think we would have ever imagined that that would be the last time we would do that for quite some time. Uh, and it really was heartbreaking. I mean, it, it was devastating to a lot of brothers because we as Masons tend to be very uh, social creatures. We, we enjoy that fraternal bond. We enjoy being with our brothers. And uh, it was very, very difficult time, scary time. We weren't sure what the future of masonry would be. Now, fortunately, at that time, we had also just launched Refracted Light, maybe a week or two before the pandemic, all the lockdown started. Uh, so Refracted Light hit at just the right time and hopefully filled a filled a void there that was created by all the lockdowns and quarantines. We have opened back up uh, to a degree um, in, I want to say, August of last year. Uh, our grandmaster started to allow us to, to uh, meet with, I think, no more than 10 brothers in a lodge. And then that slowly increased, but you still had to maintain social distancing. You had to wear masks in the lodge. There had to be hand sanitizer placed about the lodge. Uh, everything had to be sanitized before and after lodge meetings. We couldn't serve meals in the lodge. A lot of that has relaxed now. It's not a, as uh, bad as it was. There are some jurisdictions who are uh, still under heavier restrictions. Um, but what we have seen, unfortunately, I think is, uh, like you mentioned, there's an apathy that set in during the pandemic with Masons. And we're not seeing the return to the lodge and the numbers that we had pre-pandemic. And to, to, you know, to some extent, I know that's brothers who are um, still very, being very cautious and not wanting to mix again with the public because maybe they have their own health, underlying health concerns, things like that, and they don't want to. And I get that. But I feel like it's, a, it's much bigger than that. I think we just have a general apathy that has has set in and brothers, you know, went a year and a half really without attending lodge regularly. And they, they kind of lost that, that focus. Uh, maybe they lost the, the reason why they enjoyed going to the lodge in the first place. And 
I hope that changes. I really do hope that changes, but uh, that's just been uh, my experience here. Yeah. Anybody watching this, you know, if your jurisdiction's opened up and you're able to, uh, you know, you got to show up. It's, this is the, you know, you're, you really are setting the tone. Like it's the first few months, first few weeks as things reopen, that sets the tone. Right? If you're not making an effort to attend, um, or not even, you know, who cares what your effort, if you're not attending, um, it's, it gets hard, right? Things, things, Freemasonry is like anything else. It, it runs on momentum, right? And if you, so you got it, you just starting up again is a way to build back up momentum after the year and a half. So that would be my biggest, my biggest piece of advice to, to anybody watching this. Um, even if you're feeling nervous about ritual work, we're all going to be nervous and shitty at our ritual for the first few months. You know, that's the reason why in Ontario, at, at least my lodge, my, my, affiliated lodge um you know we talked to a few candidates right and there's there's no intention to do degrees for at least the first few months because it's been a year and a half we're going to need the practice um but there are some of us who were shitty with our our ritual even before uh the pandemic i'm I'm one up i am not a ritualist Uh, i just can't i try i really try i am not a ritualist by any means i know the words i know what the words mean i know the meaning of the ritual i could talk about that all day if you wanted me to, to, to give a presentation or a lecture or a degree, uh, oh man, that, that's, that's just not my thing. I just, I'd love to do it. I just can't do it. But that's, that's fine. Like the, it's a good point you bring up there, right? It's not, if, if you, if you love Freemasonry and if you um, uh, are, are a dedicated Mason, you will find you will, you will find the place in which you fit, you know, um, it's like a puzzle, right? Everybody. So, you know, in your case, um, it's, it's, it's the lectures, it's the educational side, it's refractive light, you know, you, you found obviously, um, and I can speak as someone who's had a chance to see a lot of stuff through refractive light through your work with brother Sanders, you know, you found a way to improve the Masonic experience for, for myself and for, for brothers in North Carolina uh, and beyond, right? And, you know, if you're, maybe you're, you're just crummy with words, but you're great with numbers, hey, we need treasures. We need people who are good at that stuff, right? If you're, um, you maybe you're, you're, you very much enjoy writing and you're, you're a kind of a meticulous person, secretary, Right. And if you are great at memorizing things and you have a theatrical side, then, yeah, you'll be the ritualist. But, you know, if you love it, you will find a a niche in which to place yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's whether a a brother can memorize ritual and degree work um, is really irrelevant to me because there will always be someone to fill that that role. As long as the brother is taking something away from masonry, as long as masonry means something, uh, and that goes back to what we were discussing earlier. Um, we don't have to, they don't have to be esoteric masons or, or deeply esoteric masons. As long as the degrees mean something to them, as long as our obligations mean something and it resonates with them, 
that in my book is all that it takes to be a Mason. And unfortunately, I've, I've taken a lot of heat for saying that I believe that there are many Masons who were never truly initiated because to be initiated just by very definition is to be something that changes you internally. It, it changes who you are, your percep perception. Um, and we do have so many men who, who've come through that have gone through the degrees, they've memorized uh, their obligations, but it meant nothing to them. And so were they ever truly initiated? And, and I would argue, no, they were not. Um, but for the most part, for the most part, I think any Mason who takes something away, no matter on what level they take something away from the degrees, then that's successful. That's what we're here to do. And uh, in terms of, of, of that, I think that that is a, you know, I think it's a very good place to, to, to leave it. Just that idea of, of success, right? And defining success in a Masonic term, um, as you said, right? It's, it's about, at least at the obligation part of it, right? It's not just about saying words and, and, and taking the prescribed steps or, or however it may be, right? It's about, um, um, you know, it's about a commitment and, and taking commitment and, and having something that hopefully changes changes the, the person being obligated uh, uh, for the better. And then to the extent that that extends out to the community, somebody such as myself would say, you know, the hope is that, that that then extends beyond and that whether Mason, whether in terms of membership, it grows or it declines, the, the impact can grow. Because one dedicated Mason can do as much as say 10, um, you know, uncommitted Masons, for example, right? If, if, if the community impact can be felt by just a few Masons uh, doing the right thing in the community. Yeah. What do you see uh, for, the, for the, the end of this interview? Moving forward, you've got the Masonic concert. I know there's a lot of stuff coming up in the future. What's happening in terms of refracted light? Um, I'll leave a link to that in the description to this video. Everybody should check it out. You've got some great stuff up there. Um, I posted some some of these podcasts on there on the Facebook page. Uh, where do you see what's coming up next for Refracted Light and in your Masonic uh, journey? Well, as far as Refracted Light, I think right now you're going to see continue to see uh, new presentations uh, every week, uh, whether it be from the North Carolina Masonic Research Society, which I I um, run or uh, any of the other uh, brothers or lodges that, that share content, it's always going to be there. Uh, what we've seen is the number of brothers attending the presentations live uh, is about a quarter of what it was at the beginning of the pandemic. And that's simply because their lodges are opening back up. They're becoming more active Masonically. But when we go back and look at the views where people go back and, and watch the videos later, uh, the video, the, the views are staying consistent. Um, so people are still tuning in. They may not catch it live, but they're still tuning in. They want that. They want those resources. Um, so I think for right now, Refract Delight will probably continue to do exactly what it's doing. I have my own 
ideas of, of how I think refractive light should evolve. But uh, those are just my ideas. And there's about uh, 20 of us across um, uh, the U.S. and Canada admins that, that run refracted light and, and discuss these things. So, uh, you know, it's whatever the consensus of the brothers uh, is. As far as me personally, um, you know, I, I, I locally in North Carolina, I was giving presentations uh, almost weekly or uh, sometimes multiple times a week in, in lodges around North Carolina. Um, and now that has opened up virtually to where I'm giving a lot of presentations, uh, you know, U.S., Canada, Lebanon, Scotland. Uh, really just everywhere. And I never imagined that uh, brothers in, in Canada or brothers in uh, Lebanon would even know who I was. Um, so it, it's kind of, um, I'll say it's a little bit intimidating. It's very humbling. But, you know, for me personally, I'm just going to keep on giving presentations. I want to keep speaking to lodges and just continuing to share that word and, and fellowship with brothers and just uh, enjoy what it is to be a mason. Well, I can say that um, with myself personally and my Masonic journey uh, and my Masonic career, you know, you have definitely improved it through your work with Refracted Light, through your work with uh, Brother Randy Sanders. Um, Randy has also improved it greatly. Got to, you know, mention him as well. Uh, he's how I, I came into contact with you initially and the Research Society. Uh, so, you know, thank you for all the work that you do. It is very much appreciated. And I am proud to say, and again, you know, don't, don't get mad at Matt Parker. He has nothing to do with this part, but um, I got vaccinated. You should get vaccinated, but I got my second vaccination, uh, which means uh, as of July 5th, the quarantine, um, I don't have to quarantine. So I am hoping to be in the States and maybe I can make it down to North Carolina. I got to say my, my biggest uh, disagreement with you, uh, brother Matt Parker, is I don't know where where this derisive tone you have towards green beans comes from. <laughs> I, I love green beans. I am from Canada, and while we have green beans here, we don't have them. They don't taste nearly as good as they have in the South when I've been there. I don't understand. I will eat your green beans if, if this is a, a, a problem, if I come and visit visit North Carolina. Uh, but yeah, I, I'd love to visit you guys down there one day and uh, see some North Carolina lodges and even eat the green beans. We would love to have you, Cameron. Come on down. Uh, myself, uh, Ben Wallace, other North Carolina Masons, we will make you feel right at home. We will give you all of the green beans you, you, you want. Uh, we have a tendency to load the green beans with uh, ham hocks and salt and just it, they really are delicious. It's, uh, you know, the, 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 the thing about the green beans um, uh, comes from the fact that uh, at least around here in, in the South or uh, good parts of the United States, the green bean seems to be a staple at every Masonic meal. And just simply because they're easy, you know, especially go to a lodge where they just pop open a can, heat them in a pot and, and, and that's it. And, I used to love green beans. That was one of my favorite vegetables before I became a Mason. And then I was just so burnt out on green beans. 
Uh, now that's not to say that that if I go to a lodge and someone has made fresh green beans and done it right, oh, they're delicious. But uh, for the most part, it's I walk into a lodge and uh, it's green beans again. I mean, it well, could be a spaghetti dinner and there's a pot of green beans. It, it just doesn't matter. Well, if I ever uh, find my way in North Carolina, I'll, I'll take your your share. They can they can come to the poor Canadian who doesn't get the uh, the fancy green beans. Um, I'll mention, you know, uh, uh, like, subscribe, comment, patron, all the stuff that you can do to support the podcast, support the podcast. And uh, with that, thank you so much, Brother Matt Parker. No, Brother Cameron, thank you so much. And thank you for all that you're doing. I love this podcast. Keep it up. This, this has been fantastic.